Philippians 4 verse 10. Some powerful words from the Apostle Paul to the Philippian church. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And here's the kicker tonight. I can do all things through or in him who strengthens me. We have been looking at this wonderful Uh, last three weeks of what it means to be in Christ, and we've called this series, In Christ I Am. And I want to remind you, the things that we're talking about here, we are talking about the greatest thing that can happen to a human being, youth that is more important than you getting straight A's. Some of you are relieved by that, I can see in your face. Young adults, it's more important then you're getting all of your qualifications and your work just right. Moms and dads, it's more important than raising the model child. Good luck. I'm realizing how hard it is. Not much hope in that. Just kidding. Those who have said goodbye to their children in their home, it's more important than how you're going to spend your retirement, dad. It is discovering the glory of what it means to be in Christ. We are talking about the greatest privilege and the most glorious riches of what can possibly be given to a person. And we are preaching this series because we don't want you to fall into the trap that can happen to a Christian, which is the trap of small-mindedness where we see everything so narrow, so blinkered. No, no, in this series, we're wanting to pull you up into the glory of what you have received in Jesus and to live it out. And we started out um, with Joe giving an introduction and myself picking up what it means to be adopted in Christ, to be called, to be given the right to be called a child of God. No longer calling this God some estranged celestial being, but to call him Father. What it means, it's a natural outflow of that, like Joe preached on last week, what it means to be loved by God. Do you know in Christ, you are his precious possession. You are called beloved. He gets the greatest joy when you come before him and you talk to him. Oh, my little girl, it was the most sweetest moment. She woke up from her nap today, and I woke up, and we were all trying to wake up after our nap. And she came and snuggled into the side of me, and she just sat there drinking her milkshake. And she looked at me, and she said, Daddy, I love you. I tell you what, this thing of being loved by God and welcomed to be next to him in our imperfection, it is just astounding. And tonight, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching maybe on a surprising topic tonight. 
I want to preach into, in Christ, I am content. I just felt that the Lord was putting this on my heart for us as a church this week. Is that one of the marks of growing in your understanding of who you are in Jesus is an ever-increasing sense of peace and contentment and joy no matter what. And it is a supernatural peace. Paul, in this famous epistle, as written in the same chapter, chapter 4, it is not being anxious about anything, but having a peace that surpasses all understanding. Paul, in this chapter, has spoken about what it means to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Paul is talking about the Christian supernatural, and it is supernatural power to bear up and to rejoice and to overcome all of the shifting and shakings of this life. And what I'm talking about today is this glorious thing of contentment, to face the world and to say, I'm at peace in God. Now, why do I want to talk about this today? It's because I'm very aware that life is not easy at the moment for South Africans. And for the youth here, I understand you have yet to earn your own money, but I want to tell you, your parents, like many of us here today, are experiencing what it means to be in a time, what Paul could say, of need. I want to share a little story about what happened to me this week so that you know that uh, people who are in full-time ministry struggle just like any other normal person does. I had to go see my financial advisor, and uh, they pull up all these graphs on the computer, and she said, Matt, I've got some bad news. And I looked, and she said, the red in the graph is how much money you're going to have after you retire at 64, 65. And I sat there, and she said, it's not looking pretty. And I was sitting listening to this and I was saying, you know, if I am an average middle-income family, what must the rest of my church be going through? What's on their hearts and minds? And I've been speaking to a number of people in our congregation who are experiencing what it means at the moment of uncertainty as to where our country is going and what the financial situation is going to look like. And thinking beyond that, if you have kids, I want to say, your parents have sleepless nights about you guys. Because they want the best for you. And I, I really am tonight aware that if we're going to talk about anything meaningful in our identities, how are we to apply who we are in Jesus in this current stage we find ourselves as a nation? Because no matter what's happening in South Africa, I'm sorry to disappoint you tonight if you're looking into the Christian faith. Is the church suffers along with the people that she is sharing the nation with. And God designs that way so that she can be a people of compassion. That she's relevant. God will not spare you. And I'm sorry to say, there is a very unhelpful trend in the church today that pictures the Christian life as these glorious big screens on YouTube that has oozing money and everyone's these fashionable outfits and got the perfect sound system and everybody has everything they seem to need. I tell you what, the Christian faith, my friend, is to know seasons of need and to know seasons of plenty. And it is for anybody here today who is serious in discovering who God is. No Christian's exempt from what our fellow South Africans are going through. 
And I want to unpack that tonight because what Paul is talking about here is being able to look at the future and the present and to say, come what may, I'll trust God. Come what may, I am totally at peace. I am content. I'll even go as far as to this. The Greek word means I am satisfied. And what's in store here in, in understanding what our position in Christ leads us into and enables is to understand that this thing of contentment is something that we need to learn if we are going to enjoy all that God wants to give us. Paul puts it like this to Timothy. He says, godliness. Anybody here want to know God? Anybody here want to live for God? I tell you, it's the greatest thing in your life. You were made for it. You were, he wasn't made for you, my friend. You were made for him. Godliness with contentment. It's an addition. You have to, it has to be linked to the desire. It has to link to that desire to please God. Godliness with contentment brings great gain. When the Bible says great, it's not saying, oh, that's great, that's cool, that's nice. What's next? It's offering you something that is glorious. And tonight, I, I want to poke a little bit, and I want to kind of stir. I want to ask you the question, how much do you want God? How much do you want to know Him? How much do you want your life to matter? It's not long. And a few gasps, the Bible says, like grass that's here the one day and gone the next, we'll go to meet our maker. And I want to ask you the question, how much do you want him tonight? Because if you do, God is going to have to attach this training to your life of what it means to be in Christ and find contentment. And it's a rare lesson. Not many people learn it. But anybody's qualified tonight if they're in Jesus. And so let's unpack it how Paul talks about it tonight in the context of our opening verse 10. Paul is in trouble. He is in prison. Anybody been there lately? Don't put up your hands. <laughs> Let me tell you, as a pharmacist in my first year arriving to Eastern and in West Bank prison, I walk past these cells. And in a modern day prison, at least you could get soap sometimes. At least you had some sort of living conditions. I want to say to you, Paul is in prison. It is a stinky, smelly, awful place to be. And he's writing this letter to the Philippians because in this section, he's received a gift. These Philippians now is all the way. Paul's in prison in Rome and across the Adriatic Sea in Greece, all the way up into near Macedonia is this town, this, this village called or city called Philippi. And this church, which Paul planted, sends him this gift, and it is such a blessing to Paul. Anybody here knows what it's like to be in an hour of need, and someone at just the right time drops that money in your account or sends you that WhatsApp? You feel so loved. And Paul is in the space. He says, oh, you took a long time to show me your love, but eventually the gift arrives. And I want to just point out to you, when Paul's talking here in verse 10, he's a human being like you and me. He is not this mystical figure that Paul feels like, oh, he is bulletproof to the world. 
when we look at the Apostle Paul, there was an anxiousness in his heart of whether these Philippians really still loved him. Because in his chains, he'd been deserted by so many people. Anybody here tonight feel like that? Lonely. Does anybody care? Paul is sitting in the prison, the very church that he has planted is taking forever to communicate with him, associate with him, display their concern for him, to show them their love for him. And so when this gift arrives, oh, he's so human. He's saying, oh, I so rejoice in the Lord that now at great length you have revived your concern for me. He wasn't sure if they still loved him. And he's so gracious. He said, you were indeed concerned for me, but he lets them off the hook. He says, I'm not sure why it took you so long to tell me that you love me in this way, but maybe it was that you lacked the opportunity. It's okay. I try to think of a modern example. You know, when somebody, you've WhatsApped somebody and you've just bared your soul. You say, I so appreciate you. You're so wonderful. And you wait. <laughs> day one, oh, I'm sure they may be just busy. Day two, day three, what the heck? I just poured my heart out to you, and there's nothing coming back. And then Paul is so gracious, we must give people the benefit of the doubt, especially if you know me. Please give me lots of benefit of the doubt. <laughs> but I want to say to you today, friends, Paul is talking about this awkward thing of money. Money is so awkward. One, one guy, he puts it so well, he says in the Victorian era, to talk about sex was so taboo. In the 21st era, to talk about money, it's just so awkward. And for a minister, you must understand how extremely awkward it is because he or she's given their life to the service of the Lord and he's living by faith from the hands of God. And so often, I tell you, we're very blessed in this church, but the average Christian pastor is one who knows need. And he's trying to tackle this thing of saying thank you to these Philippians for their gift, but he doesn't want them to think he's dependent on them. He doesn't want them to think he's begging. And I want to point out to you, this thing of Paul talking about contentment, it comes in this issue of his financial need. He's, he's lacking a lot of money. He's in prison. He needs help. But he wants these Philippians to know in verse 12, verse 11, he says this, I want you to know, not that I'm speaking of being in need. He says, I want you to know, even if you hadn't sent me the gift, God would have looked after me. And he even says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord because the gift given to me, it has come from God, not you. I'm saying thank you to you, but I'm actually rejoicing in the one who's given it to me. It's him. I want to say to you tonight, is there anybody here facing financial difficulty? I'm sure there are quite a number in the room. I want to say to you, the start of finding contentment is knowing who the one, the one is who is your provider. And he's jealous because he wants these Philippians to know. He wants his Philippians to know. He says, guys, for your sake, I want to set the model for you that God is able. He says in verse 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. When financial constraint begins to hit a home and a heart, for the Christian, the first thing that comes in is, where's your confidence going to lie? The mark of contentment is learning to live from the hand of God. And so, Paul is jealous. To help this congregation know how to find this contentment. He's only able to say this because he has learned it. 
he's notice here in verse 7, says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. He's saying, Philippians, let me let you into some insight into how to live this life with absolute contentment. Let me teach you what I have learned. And he says something powerful here. He says, I haven't just learned it about money tonight. I want you to know some of you might be struggling to relate to money. You're okay financially. Praise God for that. But Paul says this. He takes it one step further. He says, I want you to know I have learned in whatever situation, however it comes into my life, to be totally content in Christ. Now, what do I mean by contentment? I mean this presence of mind and inner peace that can be summed up as being satisfied. And what Paul is saying here is he's saying that the lesson he learned was that whatever the scope of life was, and I want to just unpack that for a moment in some more details, so some of you might be able to relate to at least one of these tonight. However life was coming to Paul, he says, in every situation and in every circumstance, I learned what it means to be content. And I want to unpack five areas in our lives where we can lack contentment and experience this testing. The first is we've been speaking about financial this Apostle Paul, if you knew his life, you would know that he was able at times to abound so that his own hands could provide for his entire ministry team. Oh, but like this, he's in the place where he's not really sure how he's going to make it through financially in prison. He didn't know where this next meal was going to come from when he was on the shipwreck or on the ship that was being shipwrecked. He lived a life of financial highs and financial lows. Anybody there tonight? Secondly, this is physically. Some of us here are being faced with sickness and disease. Paul was a man who was sick. He experienced disease. It was because of a bodily ailment. He went to Galatia. He experienced sleepless nights on that buffeted ship. He knew what it was like to be hungry and to be beaten to almost the point of death. Anybody here tonight know what it's like to experience disease? I tell you, unless you have, you don't know yet what it's like. Some of us have watched our parents die. Some of us, our children die. Some of us experienced what it's like to be in constant pain. Well, how about this? Paul says, no, no, physically he's learned to be content. How about emotionally? Paul carried the daily anxiety of the well-being of all the churches. He said he was at times cast down in depression, but not destroyed. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 9. He could experience weakness and trembling. Anybody relate to that tonight? Do you know what it means to be brought low in our emotions? Where you're so depressed, you're in such a dark space, you don't know how you're going to get out of it. Unless you've been there, you don't know. But Paul says even in that space, he's learned contentment. And he's learned what it means to be even on an emotional high. How about socially this morning? Anybody here know what it's like to be socially discontent, to be the person that's never been popular? To know what it feels like to be utterly alone? To feel the pain of being tolerated? Paul knew it. Paul knew even now in this prison, many had deserted him. Many were ashamed of his chains. 
you knew what it's like to stand alone, I ask you, can you say with Paul today, you've learned to be content in being socially rejected, misunderstood, and maligned? He did. He knew what it's like to be so applauded and then left abandoned. Or perhaps some of us here, like Paul, have experienced spiritual struggle. Anybody here tonight feel like you're just in the pit spiritually? I've been there. Where God feels like the most distant meteor that's got no magnetic field relevance to your life. You feel he's disinterested in you, and you feel that he doesn't hear you, no matter how hard you try. Paul went through that. He said, I experienced the thorn in the flesh, this messenger of Satan that tormented him. It was the most painful thing for him. He knew what it was like to be in a spiritual state of agony. Is there somebody tonight who's in a spiritual state of agony? I want to say Paul could say, I have learned to be content even in that space. Oh, and he's even learned to be content when he could see the third heaven and all the glorious visions and revelations he had. This man could say, I have learned to be content in any situation. Can you say that tonight? Financially, physically, emotionally, socially, spiritually, can you say, come what may, I will be satisfied regardless of what is facing me in the future? Well, God, regardless of what I'm feeling now in the present, can you say with Paul, I have learned to be content? Where are you tonight? And I want to point out to you today, this contentment is so rare is because it's so different to the world. The world's contentment says, I know what it means to be content when I'm full, when I'm abounding. And what that means is the world only knows contentment when there's external change. I tell you what, South Africans who are not yet, who have not yet come to faith in Christ, how they think is to go until there's a governmental change, until there's a career change, until there's a financial global market change, I will be content. Or even this, until there is a relationship in my life. How is this? How many of you have got a relationship in your life? You're waiting to change before you'll be content. My dad has to change. My girlfriend has to change. My wife has to change. There are these things that you're waiting for to change until you say, ah, if that one thing just changes, I'll be happy. I'll be content. Oh, that's not how the Christians do think. That's how the world thinks. Some of us are going, if I just had a bit more money, or if I just had that house, if I could just get that one step of change, that next thing, I'll be okay. Let me tell you, the Christian is not to live like that at all. And it's so rare because we do. We do. And the reason why this matters to Paul, for this Philippian church, and to God is because when the church finds this contentment in Christ, she starts to be the kind of witness she needs to be to get the attention of the world. Because there is something compelling about a Christian that can say, though God slays me, yet will I trust him. Who can rejoice in cancer? Who can look at the person who has hurt them, raped them, killed someone precious in their family and say, I forgive you. It is well with my soul. It will be well with yours. It's the kind of people that can look at a government that's so angry, robbing them of jobs and say, you know what? I'll pray for you. I'll love you like my best friend. I'll pray God's blessing on your life. Though I hate what you're doing to the country, I want to love you into Christ and pray for God's blessing on your life. 
You can see the bank account empty saying, oh, I don't know where it's going to come from, but I know God is good and he's going to look after me. Watch this space. I'll keep you in the loop. God will be faithful. Friends, that's the kind of church that when the world looks at, they start to say, who are these people? It's crazy. They're singing and rejoicing. And guess what? Every time they put God to the test, he comes through for them. This is the greatness of our salvation is to be a witness to the kind of God who is our Father in heaven and to say, it is well with my soul. I am content. It's the kind of contentment the world looks on and marvels at. And I'll tell you, there's been histories in the church where she has been like this. Going to, going to a race in New Guinea, I was thinking about it now. There, these Christian missionaries go. They get off the plane or off the boat, and these cannibals kill them. Their relatives, their husbands or their wives who were left behind, go back to the same country to say, I'm going to love you into Jesus. Friends, this is the kind of contentment that a Christian can look at and say, no matter what comes my way, I know whom I believed. I know the one who's taking me home. I'm content, come what may, in seasons of abundance and seasons of need. Oh, it is worth my soul. I am satisfied in Jesus. You might be saying, is this thing possible? I hope you're asking that question. It is. Paul says it is. I can do, he says, my testimony to you tonight, 6 p.m., any Christian here, my testimony is this. I have proven it, and it is true. I can do all things in him who strengthens me. You will find that this identity in Christ wears well in the hour of need. So how do we learn it? How do we learn it? Well, my friends, tonight I want to let you know the way you learn contentment is letting God lead you through the seasons of barrenness and blessing. You won't get it without it. How much do you want God tonight? How much do you want Him? Have you prayed, God, I want you more than anything? I want you more than I will tell you, if you have prayed that prayer, you are at risk of being so surprised in your life how God chooses to answer it. Let me tell you, God knows what we need. And I'm almost jealous for you tonight if you are hungry for God in this place. And I'm praying you are. I'm hoping that you are seeing. He's all that matters. He's all that matters. He's the one thing that cannot be taken away from you. And I want to say to you today, if you are wanting more of Jesus in your life, you are going to have to be prepared for the training that comes your way, and it is going to be surprising. And if you're not ready for it, you will feel betrayed by God. You will say, God, I, I wanted more of you, Jesus. I wanted my life to count for you. I wanted to see you. I wanted to taste you. I wanted to experience you at the deepest level. Oh, and when you pray that prayer, you can find things start to go so wrong in your life. D.L. Moody, in the 19th century, one of the greatest evangelists, he prayed that prayer. He was sitting on the platform, there was a preacher, and the preacher said, this world has not yet seen anybody who's been truly dedicated to God. And D.L. Moody sat there and he said, I pray God that I'll be that man. And God heard that prayer. You know what happened to him? In just a few weeks, his house burned down. His church burned down. He found himself in the greatest trouble of his life. Oh, and D.L. Moody could look back and say, it was the worst time, but it was the best time because God was training me to be totally content in Christ. And he went on to have the greatest ministry of the, 20, of the 19th century in terms of evangelism. My friend, if you want to do something big for God, you need big training. 
Don't think it's going to be handed to you on a silver platter where you just think, oh, I want the starters, I want the mains, and I want the dessert, and it's not going to cost you something. Because the greater the call, the greater the training. You are not ready unless you have experienced this training of Paul. And I'm sorry to say to you this morning, I have to tell you, it's not, it's not pleasant, but you will not get it through a spiritual experience. You might be praying and saying, oh, Holy Spirit, come and fill my life. Come and fill my Give me the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Give me this overflow of glory and think, oh, if I get that, then I'll learn to be content in God. Let me tell you, you won't. I think about Peter, and, and there's Peter and John on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus comes down in all his glory. They look at this glorious Son of God in all of his splendor. And they're on the mountain, and, and Peter wants to build a tent. We want to stay here forever. <laughs> and the cloud lifts, and they have to go home. You will not get it through a spiritual experience. You will not even get it through prayer alone. I want to say prayer is powerful, but it will not give you this. You can be sitting and praying for hours. Give me more of you. Give me more of you. You will not even get it through prayer, through studying your Bible. You will not get And I want to just put it out there because I'm, I'm worried that theology has a sort of veneer on it, studying theology, that if you study theology, you'll be like Paul. Let me tell you, Paul's qualification had nothing to do with his knowledge of the Scriptures. How can I say that? Because he only learns how to use them and apply them in suffering. Can I, can I just say this to you tonight? If you want to go into the ministry, I want to save you a lot of pain and say, I don't want to douse that passion, but you are not ready to be used by God if you have not suffered. You won't get it through a theological degree, my friend. You only get it through the school of life. And why must I make much of this tonight? It's because, it's because if you don't recognize how the training is going to come, you won't like it when it comes. You'll think this is God being cruel to me. This is some sort of warped celestial karma. You'll even think perhaps it's got to do with a sinful condition in you that God hates and is punishing can I say to you tonight, church, this kind of training that Paul is talking about is not God being against you. It is God being for you. And the reality of this is whether you can cope with it. And the way you will cope with it is whether or not you'll receive it as that. I want to say to you, the start of learning contentment is understanding that Paul could say, look at the scope. When I was at my lowest and when I was at my highest, whatever was happening in my life was under the sovereign hand of God. Can you say that tonight? Whatever has come into my life has been permitted under the sovereign hand of my Father in heaven. Paul will not let you get one ounce outside of God's purpose for you. Can you cope with that tonight? I was talking to a guy this morning whose father was murdered when he was just a boy in front of his eyes. I have watched Christians have to look at the reality of suffering in this world, of things done to them and things done that they've had no control of. And they have been able to say, I have recognized God has worked this for the good. I ask you tonight, not only do you need to see that everything, everything in your life matters to God. It is training. It is instructive. Not a single thing comes into your life without purpose. The second thing, you need to know that the one who is behind it is good. 
You know what it means to be that? It is an absence of bitterness. When God can bring anything into your life and you're not bitter against him, you can say, God, I'm under your hand. And this is not, in, and this is not a decline of prayer. Let me tell you, you can ask God for big things. Let him say he's no for, don't say he's no for him. You're invited to ask him for big things. I'm talking about the person who is not getting the answer they want, who's not getting the situation they want, and they are sitting in this, this space of going, this great tension of going, God, I want this, but it's not coming. They've got no control over these outward circumstances and seasons of the world and the soul. I want to say to you today, if you do not start by saying that it is God's purpose in your life and that purpose is good, you will never get past being a toddler in the faith. I'll tell you why. Yesterday, Elijah, my boy, he wanted an apple. It's this huge thing. I mean, he, he's got to try to get it into his mouth. And he asks for the apple. And he's his dad, I can see he's starving hungry. He suffers half an hour late. So what do I do? I want to start cutting the apple. He has a meltdown. <laughs> he's like, I'm like, I'm, I'm sitting there with a knife. I'm going, is this real? <laughs> he wants the apple whole. And I'm telling my boy, this apple is going to dislocate your jaw. Let me cut it so you are able to take this into your mouth and eat it and not throw it down the passageway into the dog hair and into the bin. Now, when you're... I said, mine, I see you guys are not really hitting home. But you know, we like that. We like that. Youth, we like that. Is we want things our way. But when it doesn't come our way, will you be able to say to God, like Paul said, he is good and it's for a good purpose. This is the bedrock of contentment. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, the same letter to the same church, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What's verse 13? For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Let me tell you the kind of parents you have. You might not like them very much. I've got a great set of parents. So I'm not, God, God chose them for you. Your intellect, God chose. Good luck in trying to change it. Those looks, God chose. I want to say to you tonight, will you be able to say like Paul, oh, I have found the secret of rejoicing is contentment in that God is working for the good in all things in my life. And I cannot help but feeling tonight that South African Christians are up for some training. I wish as your pastor tonight I could say tomorrow is looking so rosy. It's looking so good. You guys are going to have wonderful job opportunities and make lots of money and retire rich, wealthy, and hopefully healthy. But can I say to you tonight, I think for the church there's some training ahead on what Paul says. I know what it's like to be in need. And to be able to say, I'm content. And the reason why I can say that tonight with confidence is I know that if that is what the future is going to look like, and we pray, we pray for God to intervene. Please don't underestimate the power of God's graciousness. But let me tell you, grace can flow in two ways, an immediate answer or having to walk through the lack of an answer you want. And I sense God is saying to the church in South Africa, I've got some training for you that you can begin to shine in the way that when the world sees you, they see a touch of grace. They see a touch of glory. That this is not going to break the church. It's going gonna, it's gonna to bring her to a place of much higher spirituality and dependency on God. 
Are you up for it? Careful saying yes. You're up for it anyway. The answer is, this training is coming all the time. It's how you choose to respond to it. That's the point. And so I want to say, how then do we learn contentment? It is letting God lead us through the barrenness and blessing in this life. And can I say to anybody here this morning, is your back so against the wall financially that you don't know where your next meal is going to come from? So many in our country live like this. Some in our church do too. If you've never been there, you don't know what it's like. When your spouse comes home and says, did you get the job? No, it's my fifth one. What are we going to do next? Where are we going to get the next money? How are we going to do this? What are we going to do about our kids? And all that you've got. All that you're left with is going on your knees before God and saying, God, if you don't come through, there's no other door. There's no other way. I'm holding you to your promise. It's almost enforced learning where God is forcing you to come to him and say, I am totally dependent on you. And what you will discover, my friend, is contentment. How does it come? Is God will prove true to you. He will. His promises, you might say, people will say, oh, the Lord is my provider, Jehovah Jireh, and we sing it, and everybody claps and says, when it comes up in a song or when you read it in Scripture, you see it, you'll be able to say like Paul, I know, I know, I know what it's like. Paul's not saying, I've heard about it. Paul's not saying, I've read about it. When I've studied about it, let me give you the thesis that I read of the person who went through it. He says, I've been through it myself, and I tell you, I was able to do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God proved to be true. Why does that matter? Because, my friend, if it happens once, when it happens again, you start to say, I've been here before, and God has proven himself to me. Bring it on. Bring it on. And this thing is, you graduate from grade one to two to three to four to five. Don't think you'll get him a trick. God is so gracious, and it comes through so many different ways. But if you're in the thick of it now, my friend, you hold true to God's word. You lean into your position in Christ. You say, I can do all things in him who strengthens me. Because I tell you what, on the other side, you would not give it up for the world. You'll say, I know, I've been there. Others will say, oh, yes, yes, trust God, trust God. No, my friend, trust God. He proves himself. contentment. Bring it on. The second is this. What about tonight if you are struggling physically? You know there are people in our church struggling with cancer and chronic pain. Any of you here have been through the, the pits of experiencing disease that's eating up your body and you're not sure if you're going to survive. If you haven't been there, you don't know. But I tell you what, I want to tell you about a lady called Joni Erickson Todd. Any of you heard of her here tonight? Beautiful teenager, beautiful girl, talented, intellectual, capable, socially so adaptable. She takes a run into a pool and doesn't realize it's only this deep, and she snaps her neck. Quadriplegic. You listen to that lady talk you realize she has discovered what Paul has said. I have learned in my physical pain and disability 
to be content in God. Because you know what she realizes? She realizes three things. The first is this, is when you are not sure whether you are going to make it. I'm not talking about man flu here, okay? I know some of us think we've suffered. I just, I just want to point it out, right? I am talking about having to look your children in the eye and not know if you're going to see them next month. I'm talking about watching the precious things in your life pass through your fingers and going, God, how much time have I got left? I'm talking about the person who understands the unanswered prayer of God robbing them of their days, feeling like, God, you're cutting my life short. There's so much more I wanted to do. There's so much more I wanted to achieve and see in this world. I want to see my kids married. I want to do this for you. God, it's slipping through my fingers. Help me, please. And there's no answer. It just seems to be getting more painful and more agonizing. Oh, I want to say to you today, what you will realize in contentment in that moment is that health is a gift. That every day that you have is a gift from God to be enjoyed. And the people in your life matter. There was a lady this morning who is struggling with throat cancer. Who said to me, Matt, I have learned to say thank you for what this thing has done in my life. Because it's trained me for God. (laughs) You know what else it will do? It will train you to love glory. You know we love this world too much. When you are sick, you will learn to know that this is not my home. Bring it on. Bring on the cancer. Christ is going to come fetch me. Oh, and those of you mourning, I know I'm going to leave you. But come to Christ because we'll be in there celebrating forever. You, you might miss out on a few decades, but you're not going to miss out on eternity. How about socially this morning? Oh, I know that this is one of the most painful. School is the worst in this area. It is, there is a pecking order that's nasty. And I have known, if there's some of you here, what it's like to be rejected. To feel unloved. To feel misunderstood. I'm trying to find the friends at break time who will tolerate your presence and not make you feel ashamed because no one else really wants you around. Sometimes it's coming to Christ and the thing that you are most celebrating and enjoying in your life, your family hates. They don't understand a single thing of what God is doing in your life. You're standing there rejoicing in God and telling him what he's done. He's forgiven your sin, that he wants to forgive this. And then you're sharing the gospel. And you want to share this area of your life, that what God has done and what you've discovered. And they reject you. Let me tell you, some of us here know what it's like to lose friends, to lose family, to lose the business deal. Because you're willing to stand for God. Might I say to you this morning, you're in good company, my friend. You will be able in your agonizing of soul to find that you have the greatest sympathizer who stood alone himself, Jesus. And you will recognize... That this world is not a highway of comfort and pleasure. You will recognize it's a cross. 
and you will find that Christ's sufferings and persecutions will become your greatest joy because you'll be having a communion with God. You'll say, you're in good company, my boy. I was there in my hour of darkest need. My closest friends were sleeping. My best friend kissed me on the mouth, on the cheek, and betrayed me to the very people that falsely accused me. I stood alone. All I had was my Father in heaven. Oh, I was able to do it. So will you. Because you will learn something that God will not forsake you. He will not forsake you. He will be faithful. What is it like to be spiritually in a space of learning contentment? Oh, wow. It's when you've got nothing to bring to God to experience what it means to still be loved by Him. You will learn in your darkest hour, God's love for you has never changed. And what it will do for you is it will teach you contentment that in your weakest space, you will know God still loves you. He's for you. This is contentment, my friends. I have learned in every situation to be content. I know, I know, but it's through the training. It's through the training. It's through the training. It's through the training. And you will need the seasons of lack to be able to cope in the season of plenty. Paul says, I've had to know how to abound in both. Do you know to have a lot of money can be very counterproductive to your experience of the kingdom? Don't seek it unless God is willing to give it. It will break you. Few people can cope with worldly success, my friend. It is fickle. People are fickle. Health is fickle. Spiritual experiences change. Socializing changes. These things, emotionally, it is all fickle. This thing of knowing how to abound is to know where your true value and security lies in Christ. How much do you want of God? Will be determined by how willing you are to experience the training. And you will discover, like Paul said, if you are willing to dignify the training in your life, you will say with him, I can do all things in Christ who gives me strength. It will not be just Paul's testimony. It will be yours. You will realize that in Christ you have a leader that is capable of overruling the times and the seasons for all 